Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. If you would, uh, opening up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as we continue walking through the, the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians written by Paul the Apostle, uh, we're going to continue talking about what it means for the old to become new. And this morning we're going to see, as we look through this letter, especially this second half of the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we're going to see what it looks like to um, deal with folks that are not pleasant. I don't know about y'all, but there have been people in my life that have been not pleasant to deal with. Like, no matter what you do, it's not good enough. No matter what you do, they're going to talk about you. No matter what you do, they're just not going to like you. And, and with all the wonderful people in this world, I'm sure I'm probably the only one who's ever experienced that, right? Oh, y'all have experienced that as well. So, I, so Paul is writing to a, a church of people, a whole church full of people. I don't know if all of them are this way, but a significant portion of the group in Corinth have decided they don't like Paul. They've, they have falsely accused him. They have basically said that this man is not worthy to be called an apostle, that he is some kind of imposter that is out to just get their money. And to add to the insult, these folks are the, the folks that Paul had spent three years with walking through the gospel with them, discipling them, training them. In fact, while Paul was there for those three years, they didn't pay him a dime. And any other church that he planted, any other church that he ministered to, they typically supported him financially. When he went to Corinth, he was on his own. He paid his own way. In fact, other churches sent him financial aid so that he could minister to the Corinthians. But then he gets ready to go and he gets ready to leave and apparently he made one of the, the wealthier folks in the church angry with him. Uh, and so as a result, they had decided that Paul was not really worthy to be called an apostle. That he really didn't care about him. This man who had bled and sweat uh, and, and tears invested in them, some, for some reason they had decided that he was just, you know, not a very nice person. And so Paul hears about this, uh, and, and he writes a letter to them. He writes a letter to explain what exactly is going on and basically defend himself against this group of people. And, and so, as I said, I think we could probably relate to him because we've all, I'm sure at one point in our lives or another, either falsely accused someone or been falsely accused, and probably both at some point. And, and so when we look at verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read Paul's answer to their questioning of his integrity he says for our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity not by earthly wisdom but by the grace of God Father I pray that you would bless the remainder of our time together this morning God that we would hear from you God, that you would speak to us and that you would speak through us, Lord, that you would just use your word now to, to uh, apply it to our lives and our hearts. And God, that we would see what it means to have uh, new relationships with people who hurt us and, and, and do us wrong. And God, that we would see what it means to, to love them the way that you have loved us. Help us, God, now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice that the last part of verse 12, he says, and supremely so towards you. In other words, I did everything I could 
to be simple or holy or above board and sincere in my entire life with everybody I met, but I especially did it with you folks. In other words, I knew you folks were problem folks, and I wanted to make sure you had nothing on me. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to make you happy. I, I've, he, he's saying I, here, he says, my boast is this, my, my conscience is clear as I, as I give this testimony that I've lived with uprightness. This word simplicity is uprightness or holiness or, or just doing things correctly. And, and when I speak, I speak truthfully. I speak sincerely. I don't just talk to talk. And, and he says, I've done it with not earthly wisdom. What's earthly wisdom, guys? Earthly wisdom is the mindset that this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world and I'm going to get what's coming to me and I'm going to get mine and everybody else can just get out of my way and, you know, this is about me. It's not about anybody else. If I have to, you know, if I have to rip somebody off, I have to rip somebody off. I've got to get what's coming to me. I'm going to make sure that people know they don't mess with me. And so this is earthly wisdom, this idea that it's all about getting ahead no matter the cost, no matter who you hurt. He says, I, I didn't live that way. I didn't live with earthly wisdom. Wouldn't it be nice, guys, if we lived in a culture or in a world that we didn't have folks living by earthly wisdom? Earthly wisdom is the reason why we have to have uh, contracts, right? So we can uh, have some way to get uh, back things that people rip us off for and things like that. Wouldn't it be nice if people, when they said yes or no, you could actually believe them and trust them? Wouldn't it be nice if people actually did what they said they were going to do? You have to wonder if they were telling the truth. Paul says, this is the way I lived. This is the way I have lived. God is my witness. This is what I have done. My conscience is clear in the way I've treated others. My conscience is especially clear in the way I've treated you because I didn't live according to earthly wisdom. The last part of this is, he says, but I lived and treated others according to God's grace. The opposite of earthly wisdom is treating others according to God's grace or according to the gospel, forgiving them even when they don't deserve it. Loving them even when they don't love us. Caring for them when they don't care for us. Dying to ourselves to serve others. The way that Christ has treated us. The opposite of earthly wisdom which says get what you can from everyone around you. And Paul says this is the way I've lived towards you. And we come to verse 13. He tells them why he lived this way. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us. You've kind of got it, but you're still working on it. That on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So he says, the reason I live this way, the reason why I treat people this way is not because I'm morally superior. It's not because I have something other people don't. It's not because I am special and I am Paul and I do what's right. No, he says, the reason why, I hope you will understand this, I know you kind of got it, is that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved me. And, and the day I stand in front of him, uh, I'm going to be boasting of you and you're going to be boasting of me. In other words, the day that Jesus comes back is the day that Paul lives in light of. Everything he does in his life is surrounded, or it's, it's, everything he does in his life is focused on one day in history. In the future, the return of Jesus Christ, he knows that one day the king of the universe is going to come back. And when he does, he's going to be standing in front of him. 
Guys, what if we lived each day being reminded of the fact that one day we're going to stand face to face with our Lord? Would it change the way we treat people? Would it change the, the way that we show grace and mercy as opposed to earthly wisdom? Can you imagine if your life was centered around that fact that you knew that Jesus was coming again? I hope that it is. I hope that that's what we're working towards because guess what? He is coming and we're going to see Him. And so, and here's the other part, and he says, and oh, by the way, you guys will be there too. You'll be standing next to me. So the people who have trusted in him will be standing next to us. And I think Paul's doing a couple of things here, and just kind of follow with me here. I think first off, he's sort of sneakily reminding them, as he'll do again later, that Jesus is the only one who judges. Like, I'm standing before Jesus, guys. Y'all don't have to judge me. I'm not yours to judge. I've acted according to the Word of God and what I thought was best on my part. Now, by the way, you'll be standing before Jesus too. How have you treated me? You like the way that He turned it around. You see, Jesus knows our hearts and He knows what I've done and what I haven't done. But He also knows what you've done and haven't done. Do you like the way He's talking to him? He's kind of saying, so my conscience is clear towards you guys. Is your conscience clear towards me? It's sort of like I, I, I was, when I first started seminary, I had a professor who said that in the first church he ever pastored, he had a guy who just didn't like him. For whatever reason, this guy didn't like him. No matter what he did, this guy said he did it wrong. And, you know, he was just always in his office, always complaining, you know, uh, giving him a hard time. And so one day he said, you know what, brother? It looks like we're not ever going to get this resolved. So why don't I come around there? He said, I walked around my desk and I stood next to him. I said, let's just kneel down right here and ask God to kill whichever one of us is wrong. And he said, the guy left and didn't bother him after that. I've never done that. I don't recommend that. But, I, my, <laughs> but it sort of brings things into perspective when you say, you know what? Let's let God judge. Let's allow God to look at me and you. As far as I'm concerned, I've done all I can have you? I'm going to stand before him one day. And, and so I, I want you to understand this morning that we are to live in such a way as if we are looking forward to the time that Jesus returns. Because we should be. He's going to come back. And Paul says, I'm going to boast of you guys and you guys are going to boast of me. We're going to talk about the fact that we've been serving the Lord. So, so let's cut all this out. Let's Show each other God's grace instead of earthly wisdom. And I just wonder this morning, the folks in your life that are just driving you nuts, are you treating them with earthly wisdom or God's grace? Are you looking at ways to get back at them or looking at ways to love them? Are you showing them the kindness that Christ has shown you? Or are you treating them the way they've treated you? Is your conscience clear? When you think about what Jesus has done for you in relationship to the way you've treated those around you. And so let's get at what they're actually saying about Paul in verse 15. He says, Because I was sure of this, because I was sure of this, the fact that I would stand before Jesus, you would stand before Jesus, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. He's saying, I wanted to get two trips in at once. I wanted to see you 
coming, uh, coming and to going. I wanted to see you on my way there and on my way home. I, I wanted to spend time with you guys. I wanted a double uh, a blessing for you. Uh, Paul says, I wanted to be in your presence. But then you look at verse 17. He says, was I facilitating when I wanted to do this? Uh, was I waffling? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? He's like, am I just talking to talk when I tell y'all I'm going to do something? Did I ever really mean to come back by and see you? Or was I just, you know, saying what sounded good in the moment? See, what Paul is being accused of is saying what they wanted to hear when he was in front of them and then going and doing something totally different when no one was watching. What he's being accused of is not liking them, but being afraid to tell them that he doesn't actually like them. Oh, yeah, I'm coming by to see you. I'll be there. And then he never shows up. And they're like, well, well, it's because he never wanted to come at all. It can't be because he had something else come up. It can't be because he wanted to, and in spite of wanting to, God changed his plans. But surely that's not the reason why. See, what they're accusing him of is not telling the truth, of just saying what he wanted to say and what he thought they wanted to hear. I remember, and, and this will get you in trouble, won't it? When you tell people things that you don't really mean. I, I remember, uh, again, from early on in ministry, I, I had invited a, a friend up to come and preach a revival for us at the church I was pastoring. In fact, I'd been pastoring like a month and a half, and I was responsible for getting somebody to preach. Just find one of your preacher buddies. I was like, man, I've been preaching for six months. I, I mean, a month and a half, I'm not going to do this. Well, anyway, I, a, a friend of mine came up and preached, and, and to this day, I don't know that I've heard a more gifted preacher, gifted pastor, but in the process of the week, one of our uh, fellows in the church was part of a Southern Gospel group, and he loved to sing, and he was telling my friend, you know, I love to sing, and my friend was like, well, you know what? When I get home, I'll have y'all come down, and you'll sing for my church. Well, the next year came, and the church wanted to invite this guy back up to preach again, and he came up to preach, and when he did, the guy who was part of this quartet was like, hey, you said you was going to have me down, and you never did. I've been mad at you for a year. Like he was—he took him at his word. This is my buddy. He was young. He—he he was like, well, he was basically the look on his face was, oh, I didn't mean it. I was just saying that to be nice. But that—that's what they said Paul was doing. You're just saying stuff to be nice, man. You don't really mean it. And, and so we have to be careful about doing that. But we also have to be careful about assuming that folks don't actually mean what they're saying. And so, look at verse 18. He says, listen guys, this hurts my heart because um, that's not the way I live my life. As surely as God is faithful, here in verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always Yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's saying, because God is faithful, I try to be faithful. Because God tells the truth, I try to tell the truth. Because God says He does what He says He's going to do, I do everything I can to do what I say I'm going to do. But we're still people, right? God changes our plans. God does things differently. And to, to be honest, guys, this passage right here is it's hard not to preach a whole sermon just on this passage because Paul uses some deep truths of the, of the gospel to make his point. 
You see, his point is, is that Jesus has always been the point. That Jesus has always been the truth, even in the Old Testament. He's the point of the Old Testament. He's the goal towards which the Old Testament is pointed. I read it somewhere that it said to read the Old Testament without reference to Christ is like reading a mystery novel with the final chapter torn out. Without reading and understanding in the Old Testament that God is always pointing towards Christ is like reading a great book or reading a great movie and just when the hero is about to show up, the screen goes black. Jesus is the point of the Old Testament as much as he is the point of the New Testament because it is in him that all these promises that we read about in the Old Testament are fulfilled. It's in him that all God's promises are yes. We can trust God because he has come through. He is faithful. And we know he is faithful because he has sent us Jesus. And he didn't just send us Jesus. As Paul points out, he sent sent us the Holy Spirit as a down payment sort of, a guarantee of what we have in Christ so that we can spend eternity with him. And so Paul says, God keeps his word. God does what he says he's going to do over and over again. He is faithful to his people and to his word. And I want to emulate my father. I want to do what he does. So I want to be faithful. That's the reason why when I say yes, I mean yes. And when I say no, I mean no. I want my life to be a reflection of the truths found in the gospel. He's saying, I, I don't just talk to talk. Because I want people to trust me when I speak. He's saying, I want people to see God in me. He is the reason for my actions. Guys, what would, what would happen in our lives if the reason why we spoke truth wasn't because we were afraid of getting caught in a lie, but because we wanted to represent our God well, our God who is faithful, our God who is true, our God who always comes through on his promises. How much different would our lives look? Do you live your life in such a way that says, you know what, I'm going to be faithful because God is faithful and I want to be like Him. It's so important that we have integrity. It's so important that when we speak, we speak truth, especially when we claim to represent Him to the world. And so, so what's your guiding principle this morning? What, what guides you as you walk through life? Is it worldly wisdom or is it the grace of God? Is it the idea that I'm going to do what works right now and what's best for me, or is it the idea that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus? Can you say with Paul the Apostle, God is faithful to me, and I'm going to do my best to be faithful to people in my life? And so are you true to your word? And he goes on and he explains why he didn't end up in Corinth. He tells them the reason why in verse 23. He gives them an explanation of the circumstances that he found himself in. He says, I really wanted to come to you guys. I wasn't able to, and here's the reason why in verse 23. He says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? So Paul is saying, the last time I visited, it was not a great visit. We had some hurtful, I had some hurtful things to say to you. And when I found out more hurtful things, I didn't want to visit you again and just bring more pain to you. We learned from the the first letter to the Corinthians that these folks were messed up, right? They had issues. Like one, one guy in the church was sleeping with his stepmom and everybody was like, hey, that's awesome. Way to go, buddy. Uh, they, they weren't even talking about, you know, <laughs> what we need to do to fix this situation. 
We had other, they had other folks in there who had decided they were more important than others because Peter had baptized them or because Paul had baptized them, and so they had decided you know, that maybe Jesus wasn't most important. They had others who had elevated themselves above the rest of the church because they felt like speaking in tongues was more important than anything else. Like they, you just go down through the list. Like They have all these issues going on. Paul has to get in their face. He has to deal with them. And, and, and so he's dealing with them, and he says, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't want to come back because if I came back right away, it was going to hurt. And it was going to hurt a lot. And so instead, I wrote you a letter to say, hey, listen, you really need to take care of these things. Because sometimes space is okay in conflict, isn't it? Sometimes when you're dealing with a hard topic or a hard situation, it's okay to give a little bit of space. Something I'm learning in marriage like, you know, early on I had a hard time with just walking away and not trying to get to the bottom of the problem and resolve the issue right then and right there. And, you know, Crystal would be like, no, maybe we need to take a little time and talk about this. I was like, no, we're going to deal with it now. We're going to deal with it now. And that's not always a good way to handle that, guys. I don't, I'm just going to give you some free advice this morning. I'm still learning this. I'm still processing this. Pray for my wife, you know, as I process these things. But, you know, as we deal with conflict, sometimes it's best to take a step back. Sometimes it's best to, to take a step back and say, you know what, maybe we need to take a breather. Maybe we need to think about this. Maybe we need to pray about this. And so Paul says, I wanted to give you guys a heads up so that when I showed up, you weren't embarrassed by how terrible you were acting, but you actually had a chance to fix the situation so we didn't have to talk about that. We could talk about more fun stuff. We could talk about stuff that was enjoyable and brings joy. And so sometimes space is good. Guys, maybe the person you're dealing with in your life, you just need some space from. You need a little bit of a break from. Maybe you need a little bit of space so that you can pray and get your mind right and get their mind right and then come back and deal with the issue. And so you get a better idea and cool off. And so then in verse 3 he says, And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice, for I felt sure of uh, you all, of all of you, that my joy would be uh, the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He says, listen, I believed in you. I believed with all my heart that you were walking with Jesus and that if you just knew the truth, you would get things right. You would straighten up. And so I was giving you a little bit of time to do that so that when I got there, we could, we could talk fun stuff. We could talk happy things. You notice his attitude. His attitude is, I believe in the best for you. I believe that you're actually going to walk with the Lord. He is gracious towards them, believing the best. Guys, you, you know that's what he says about love. He says that love believes all things, hopes all things. Where these folks had decided without even knowing the facts that Paul was a monster, that Paul was this terrible person, Paul is writing to this group of folks who were running him through the grinder saying, you know what, I believe in you. I trust God is doing the work in your life. I think the best of you. What if we thought the best of other people instead of jumping to the worst of conclusions? It's so easy to create a monster out of someone when you don't have the facts, isn't it? Y'all ever notice how the, the arguments that you have with other people work way better when they're not there? You know what I'm talking about, right? You go home, you're like, uh-huh. Well, if he would have said that, then I would have said this, and if she would have said this, then I would have said that, and you work it all out, and you're like, see, I'm totally right. 
You've convinced yourself that you were right when you initially thought you were right. When we just assume the worst of other people, we can always be right because we can always assume they had the worst motives, they absolutely meant to hurt our feelings, they absolutely meant to say that, they absolutely meant not to say that. When maybe what we ought to do is give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, I, I bet you they didn't mean it that way. You know what, they probably didn't even know about that. They probably didn't even know that was going on. Can you imagine if we gave folks the benefit of the doubt and just believed the best about them instead of the worst? How much would that change our lives? These folks had convinced themselves that Paul, a guy who gave his heart and his life for these folks, was a selfish, lying man without any truth to back it up. And so, when in truth, he actually did love them. And so sometimes we can avoid conflicts if we just simply choose to believe the best about other people. And if we give them space. And then, but then, finally, I do want to say this. He wrote to them and he said, I've got some hard truths you need to hear. You notice he didn't say, because I love y'all so much, we won't even talk about all the stuff y'all messed up on. Sometimes I, I think we think that the only way to resolve conflict is not to actually deal with the issue. That's not what I'm saying, and that's definitely not what he's saying. Like he, he wrote some hard things to him. He's going to write some more hard things to him. Because peace at any cost is not peace. The absence of truth is not love. We still speak truth to people, and we still let them know that they hurt us. We still let them know what's going on, but we do so with the grace of God, understanding that we can forgive them and move past it rather than simply ignoring the situation. See, the, the solution isn't just ignoring the issue. The solution to conflict with difficult folks is just, I mean, or just normal people. It doesn't even have to be difficult people. It can be normal people. Is addressing the problem according to God's grace, according to the gospel of Jesus. Treating them the way that Jesus has treated us. You see, Jesus, as you guys know, the Son of God, came to earth, never did anything wrong, lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, what happened? Well, he went to the cross. And what did he do on the cross? Well, he died for my sins. He died for your sins. Not because we deserve it. Paul said that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. That while we were still sinning and rebelling against God and doing everything we could to spit in his face, Jesus died for us. And he says, this is the way we ought to love one another. This is the way we ought to treat one another. His blood that covers up our sin that was shed for us, we didn't deserve it. We were simply gifted it. What if we began to treat other folks that way? Not saying, well, you know what, I'm just going to ignore what went on. But saying, you know what, in spite of what went on, I love you. and I'm going to die to myself for you. When's the last time, guys, when's the last time that person that just drives you absolutely nuts, when's the last time you prayed that God would bless them, that God would change them? Did you know that prayer works? Did you know that the gospel has the power to change lives? I forget this all the time. I do. Like every time somebody cuts me off or almost runs me off the road going up Malvern Avenue, I forget that the gospel changes lives, right? At that moment, I want retribution. The gospel actually changes lives. Are we praying this over the folks in our lives that are hurting us? Are we praying that God would change their hearts? Are we praying that God would change their lives? And are we acting towards them with the same gracious integrity that Paul says he acted towards the Corinthians? 
Are we showing them the same kindness that Christ has shown us? Or are we acting in such a way that shows worldly wisdom instead of grace, instead of mercy? And and listen, I understand it's hard. Some folks are really, really hard to be nice to. Those are the folks that distance works out better, right? But anyway, uh, (laughs) but it's hard to treat others the way that Christ has treated us when people hurt us and abuse us. But if we pray for them and we pray that God would change our hearts to love them in the way that he has loved us, can you imagine the difference that would make in our lives? And so this morning, if you've fallen short, if you've said, you know what? There are folks in my my life I have not treated very well. I've jumped to conclusions about them. I've uh, thought things about them that were not true based on misinformation. Guess what? Jesus died for your sins. He calls you to forgiveness, calls you to repentance and forgiveness this morning. If there are folks in your life that you've mistreated uh, knowingly, Jesus died for your sins. His blood covers those sins. If you will ask Him to forgive you, if this morning you you have forgotten that the gospel changes hearts and changes lives, Jesus died to change you. He died to remind you to trust Him to change the people around you. Maybe this morning you've never even trusted on Jesus to begin with. You've never put your faith in him to begin with. He died for you. He died to pay for your sins for all eternity. And God who is faithful, he says that if we will trust on Christ, if we will believe on him, we will receive his Holy Spirit, and he will make us new. And so this morning I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand, I'm going to ask you to to just inspect your heart and ask yourself, am I refusing to forgive those in my life that need forgiveness? Am I refusing to show grace to those who I should be showing grace to? Am I hurting people I shouldn't be hurting? Have I forgotten that the gospel changes lives? If you have, would you ask the Lord to to forgive you and to help you learn what it is to love the people in your life, regardless of whether or not they deserve it? Let's pray. Father, I ask you, Lord, I ask you now that you would show us grace and mercy and love. God, that you would... Just uh, show us how to treat others the way that you've treated us with the same mercy and grace. God, help us to be forgiving. Help us to, to treat others according to your grace this morning. God, I pray if any don't know you, that they would come to know you even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to pray, would you come as we sing?